Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. We are in our final installment of the Book of James uh, book study. And, and has anybody been enjoying this, uh, this sermon series, this book study of James? Has anybody learned anything from James? Yeah, when, when we were looking at the, the uh, when we were trying to decide which sermon series that we should bring to uh, the church or our church family or which book of the Bible should we study, um, James was at the top of our list. And one of the reasons is because James is one of the most practical books of the New Testament. And I don't have to convince you about that. For the last four weeks, we've heard some incredible messages about the practical side of our faith. Like, we've, we, for example, we've learned that we can, we can uh, put some decisions in place, we can put some parameters in place, and we can tame our tongue. We, we learned in the book of James that we probably shouldn't treat people with favoritism, but instead we should treat everybody as equal, um, we, we learned how we should deal with trials and tribulations that come our way or how I can find God's will for my life. And if I were to take a poll um, and ask everybody how you thought this book would end, um, most of us would probably think that James would end this book in the same way he's written the rest of his book. He would end it with very practical advice. He would end it with a final piece of encouragement or one last practical thing to live out your faith. But this, this book actually ends with a plot twist. It, it's, it's a classic M. Night Shyamalan plot twist to the book of James. And he actually ends with spiritual advice. He, he spent the last four chapters building up all of these practical things that we need to do. And at the very end, he slips in the spiritual advice. So James... Chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? And James is so funny. Yes, we're all in trouble. You know, I, and if I'm not in trouble now, there's trouble tomorrow coming up. So are, are, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And I would like, just as I'm reading through this scripture, or if you're following along with me, just count the number of times James is reiterating how many times we need to pray. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So why does James end this book with this focus on prayer? Because James knows that there are some things we can learn from Scripture and we can apply them to our lives and our lives will get better, which is, which is God's plan. That's not groundbreaking news. We all know that uh, based, off, based off this book alone, I can make some decisions and I can decide what I, how I want to speak or, or what I want to say. And based off of my taming of the tongue, my life will be better. Or, or, or I, can, I can identify some values that I want to base my life on. And just that decision that I, wanna, I want my life to reflect that I love God and that I love people... That decision alone will impact how I live my life. But all of us 
we'll face some things where we discover that the decisions that we've made, the values that we've set, the strength that we have, it's just not enough. So why, why does James end this book with a call to prayer? He ends this letter with a call to prayer because prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best that God can do. So I, I, I know a lot of you um, might not be super familiar with me. Um, my, my name is Ben. Uh, I, uh, I um, grew up in this church, and whenever I uh, graduated high school and went to college, I went to University of North Texas where I got my bachelor's degree. And, and in my last year, my senior year of college, I had all of these plans laid out. I knew what I was going to do. I knew the job I was going to take. I had a group of friends that, I, that this is my friend. Like, this, this is my group of people. I'm, I was looking forward to being friends with them long after I graduated. And uh, I experienced something that a lot of seniors in the room, you probably might have experienced at some point too, um, where all of the plans that I had made, all of a sudden, I, I quickly realized none of those things were going to happen. I, 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 uh, the job that I thought I was going to have, it got filled. Um, all of the friendships that I had, they all, they all turned a little bit sour. And I, I realized that we weren't going to be friends for very long. Um, and if I can just be very, very honest with all of you, and I, I don't say this word lightly, um, I think that this is the one time in my life that I truly dealt with depression. Um, to the point where uh, this is uh, um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I thought something chemical was wrong with me. I I drove down from Denton to Houston to sit with my parents and tell them I, there's something wrong. There's some days I can't get out of bed. There's some days I didn't eat anything. All of the things that I used to enjoy, I didn't. It didn't taste as good. I didn't enjoy them anymore. And I, I hit a point where I realized everything that I had done wasn't enough. And I, I, there was one day where I, I got my Bible, and I didn't do this as often as I should have. I wish I would have done it more, but I got in my closet by myself, and I just spent time praying, crying, weeping, asking God for help because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what my life was going to look like. And in that moment, God met me in such a peaceful way. He didn't give me a three-bullet-point way out. He didn't give me a sermon outline or anything like that, but I just had this comforting sense of, okay, I know things are going to be all right. And it was within the next couple of weeks that I learned about Highlands College, where I, I figured out that that's the best next step for me, where God was calling me to, and he was calling me into full-time ministry. And within the span of three weeks, I graduated from University of North Texas, got accepted to Highlands College, and moved from Denton Texas to Birmingham, Alabama, and I know, to me, that's the biggest miracle of my life. It's one of the, the highlight miracles that God has performed in my life, and I know that there's some of you in this room that you hear that, and you think, really, Ben, like, the miracle is that God told you where to go? Like, the miracle that I need is way, way bigger than that, and I just need you to know that although that might seem small to you, to me, the entire trajectory of my life hinges on that moment. That if, if I don't hear and if I don't go to Highlands College, if I don't take that next, that next step, I can pretty confidently tell you that I'm not standing here. That, that I don't have the healthy relationships around me. 
I'm not living out my purpose. I would have never met my wife. So what does prayer do? Prayer is, is, is the difference between all of the decisions, all the choices that I've made, and the best that I can do, and it's the difference between what the best that God can do. So according to James, there's three things that prayer does. Three things. The first thing is that prayer puts my unknown future in the hands of an all-knowing God. Prayer puts my unknown future in the hands of an all-knowing God. I, I hope this is okay with you. Usually I'm more of like a, like, I like to teach. That's usually what I do. Like, I like learning things and teaching them. I don't, whenever I'm going through this, I felt a little preached. I hope that's okay. Um, but James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. See, I don't know if you're anything like me, but the problem with my problems isn't just my problem. My, my brain thinks about where is this problem taking me? Like, I, like maybe, maybe you're in that situation right now. Maybe you're in a financial situation, a, a financial problem, and you recognize that the financial issue is there, but in the back of your mind, you're just thinking, where is this financial issue taking me? Or maybe, maybe you're having marriage issues today. And both of you recognize that there are, you recognize the, the issue. You recognize the problem. But both of you are questioning, where are we headed with this? And it's, it's rooted, that question of where is this problem taking us? It's rooted in that fear of the unknown. And sometimes that fear of the unknown is so overwhelming. It's more overwhelming than the problem itself. And that's what often leads us to making poor decisions and that's why James comes along and he says, God probably isn't going to tell you how he's going to do it, but he's at work. Oh, come on. You need to hear that. That you probably won't know. Jesus probably isn't going to tell you how he's working, but you need to know he is at work in your situation. And can, can I prove it to you? How many of you woke up this morning worried that the sun wasn't going to be in the sky today? How many of you woke up in a fever in the middle of night thinking, oh God, I hope that the earth continues to spin on its axis because if it doesn't, we're all not here. <laughs> or how many of you, like you sat on the edge of your bed and right before you took that step, you were thinking, oh God, I hope gravity works today. I really hope that would, if it, I mean, if it didn't, that'd be kind of cool because you just kind of float a little bit, but that would ultimately lead to a lot of bad things. No, none of us here thought those things. None of us woke up with those worries. Why is that? Because all of us have a confidence that God is at work, whether you acknowledge that it's God or not. You acknowledge that something is going to work. And we trust him to handle the workings of the universe, but sometimes we struggle to have enough faith that he can handle my individual situation. See, we serve an all-knowing God. And you need to know, he is not nervous. He's not pacing the floor of heaven, worried, fretting, thinking, oh no, there's another election coming up. I don't know what's going to happen. Or, oh, oh, oh me, there, there's another problem. Sally Mae just did this thing one more time and I don't know how I'm going to help her out. I just don't know if I can handle it. Um, 
So I, I heard a story one time uh, of, of a church service. Um, and in this church service, it was pretty common for uh, if a person felt like God spoke to them, they would just say the word and the whole audience would listen. And there was one, one church service where this, where, this, where this lady felt like God spoke to her. And in a moment, she, uh, she, this was the word of God from, this was the word to the church from God. She said, oh, things are bad. Things, they're just oh so bad. Things are, things are so bad, I don't know if I can handle it anymore. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> hey, I don't know what that lady was listening to. But that is a lie from the pit of hell, that Jesus is not worried. So how do we stop worrying? If God isn't worried, how can we stop worrying about our unknown future? Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34, Jesus says, so do not worry. That's great. I would love to do that. How do I not do that? Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The people that don't even believe in God, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Everybody say, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Jesus is so optimistic that... You're going to spend all your time worrying about tomorrow, and then once you get to tomorrow, you're going to realize that you're going to worry about things the day after tomorrow. And some of us, that's what we're worried about is that movie, The Day After Tomorrow, that we watched when we were just a little too young. But each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus' advice is seek first the kingdom. Before you, before you fret about what you're going to do or what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat, that you should seek first the kingdom, that you should seek his righteousness and his peace and his plan and his will, that before you do anything else, you should seek first the kingdom. That means when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you do is you pray, and you pray like he taught his disciples where he said, your kingdom come and your will be done. So before I get to my list of issues and my list of problems, the first thing I'm going to do, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. The second thing that prayer does, not only does it put my unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God, it puts my hopeless situation in the hands of an all-powerful God. James chapter 5, 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And I don't know about you, I've faced a few hopeless situations. I it, if I can be completely vulnerable, and if, if we can't be vulnerable here, where, where else can we be vulnerable? I'm in a hopeless situation right now. It, it seems hopeless that without God, I don't know how it's going to work out. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I have this tendency whenever I encounter a hopeless situation that I just want to give in to the hopelessness. 
that I just want to try to ride it out. I'm, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to let the situation go through. And then on the other end of it, I'm going to see what the hopelessness left behind. And then I'm just going to go about my life. And some of us in the room, one of us at our campuses, we're probably experiencing a hopeless situation right now. And you're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, Ben, you're too late on this one. Like, I needed this message a year ago. I, I needed this message six weeks ago. I, I, I needed it last week. It's done. The report's been given. The papers have been drawn up. There's nothing that can be done about it. And you, you need to hear this. It's never too late for a God who has a history of raising the dead. It's just not too late. It's never too late for God who is known to show up to a situation and call Lazarus out of a grave. It doesn't matter how hopeless or how bleak your situation is looking. When God has a reputation of calling forth the dead to life, doesn't matter what it is, he can do the same thing in your situation. Romans chapter 4, 18 through 21, says it's the story of Abraham. Even when there was no reason for hope. Does anybody, has anybody ever felt like that? I'm not going to ask if you feel like that right now because that's very vulnerable. Has anybody ever felt like you don't have hope? Abraham kept hoping even though he had no reason. How, how did he do that? He believed that he would become the father of many nations for that's what God told him. God said that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. So here's Abraham. He has this promise from God that he will be the father of many generations, of many nations. And he does not have one kid yet. And he's a hundred years old. I don't know if you need to know this, but in case you didn't know, his reproductive ability is gone. Same thing with Sarah. Sarah is 90 years old. Her reproductive ability is gone. They, the, the literal physical hindrances are there. If you want to talk about a hopeless situation, that's about as hopeless as it gets. What did Abraham do? Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Can I tell you that's what I want for my life? That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for your life, that never wavering faith. In fact, his faith grew stronger. So when Abraham was experiencing this hopeless situation, instead of giving in to the hopelessness, his faith actually grew. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And I... I I'm, I'm fully convinced now. I, I'm fully convinced that God can work in whatever hopeless situation that you have. I know he can. And I, I know that my brother has shared his story quite a few times. Um, I would like to share my, my version of the story. I don't want to retell his story because his story is amazing. I love every time he says it. it. It encourages me so much. But here's my story of that season is that Bo is all I prayed about. He, every time, every altar call, every prayer meeting, every time I was praying in my room, the only thing I prayed about was my brother because it looked like a hopeless situation. I didn't know if he was ever going to come to church again. I didn't know if he was ever going to love God or love us again. I didn't know. There's just a lot of things I didn't know. 
And if we were to all get in a shuttle and a fleet of shuttles and go to our Houston campus, I can take you to the spot in the altar where I was praying for my brother and God gave me a word. And, and in, in, he doesn't do this often for me, but in this moment, I saw my brother standing and there was darkness all around him. And slowly, I just saw this light illuminate and I saw that my brother was standing in the middle of a hand. And I heard God tell me, I've got your brother, pray for something else now. And can I tell you what that did for me? It gave me such a confidence. It gave, it gave me such a boldness that the, the more bleak things got, the more confident I became because my prayer at that point was just, God, I believe what you said. I'm not going to spend hours worrying about this or fretting over this. You gave me a word. I know it's going to be done. Why, why do I say that? Because if God did it for me, he'll do it for you. And it's never too late. And James is wanting to tell us that. That's what James wants you to know is that it's never too late. The third thing that prayer does is prayer puts my broken life in the hands of an all-forgiving God. James chapter 5, 15 through 16 says, If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I know a lot of us have heard that scripture. You know the first thing that I think of when I read that scripture is I want powerful and effective prayers. Therefore, I need to be a righteous person. So how do I become a righteous person? Not a self-righteous person, just a righteous person. And the sad reality, unfortunately, is that there is nobody that's righteous. Even scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous. No, not even one. So Paul kind of doubles down on his statement. Just in case you were, you were a little unclear, there's not even one person that's righteous. So that kind of leaves us like with no hope, right? Okay, if, if the prayers of a righteous person are effective and powerful, but I'm not righteous, what can I do? The goodness of the gospel is that you can become righteous. That a righteous person is someone whose wrongs God has made right. That's what the word righteous means, is that all of our wrongs, all of our mistakes, all of the bad decisions that we've made, all the bad investments, all of the sin and all of the shame can somehow be made right. So how does that happen? How, how, how I want that. How, how can all of my wrongs be made right? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, In Christ, God put the wrong on him. He put all of my wrongs on Christ who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. So that means that God can take your broken life, all of the mess ups, all of the sin and all of the shame, and he can make it right. And that's not just for the spiritual elite. That's not just for the pastors or for the preachers or for the people in full-time staff at a church or for the, the ultra-religious. Because Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's somebody that just needs to hear today that there is nothing that you've done 
There's nothing that you are doing, and there's nothing that you could ever do that would disqualify you from the saving work of Jesus Christ, which he accomplished on his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And if that's not good news for you today, I don't know what is. So let's, fin let's finish out this, this book of James. James ends this book with a story from the Old Testament. He, he, he goes even more spiritual. He says in James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Elijah was a human being. Now let's pause right here. Why does he qualify Elijah as a human being? Because in this culture, a, a lot like maybe some of us, I've, I'm guilty of this, is that we elevate some people and think, of course God's answering their prayers. Look at how they're living their life. Like, of, of course, that, that person, he's, he's super close to God. He's super spiritual. Of course, God is going to answer his prayers. He probably isn't going to answer my prayers. But this is what James says. Elijah, who is the prophet of prophets in the Old Testament, he, he meant business. When he showed up, people knew something was about to go down. And what does James reduce him to? Just a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So what is James trying to do here? James is trying to teach us how to pray with this story of Elijah. That he wants us to pray, but he doesn't want us to just pray these wishful thinking prayers. He doesn't want us to just throw out these phrases and then hope that God backs them up. He wants us to pray with a faith that works. So how do we build our faith? If that's what James's goal is, is for us to pray with faith that works, how do we get that faith? So if it's okay with you, I would like to spend the rest of our time going through that story that James is illustrating is he talks about Elijah. So 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, says, now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, everybody say Tishbe. It's just a fun, fun word to say. That's also kind of redundant because if I, if, if I were to tell you my name is Ben, I'm a Houstonian from Houston. That just doesn't make sense. I love that the Bible is, it, it, so the Bible, you'll enjoy it more if you just find little pockets of humor in it, just as a heads up. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few seasons except at my word. So, so Elijah is going up to this king. He tells the king, it's not going to rain until I say so. But here's the thing is that Elijah isn't just saying it's not going to rain based off of his own good intentions or based off of his own wishful thinking or based off of what he thinks is a good idea. He says that because he had a word, that faith, a faith that works, begins with a word from God. So how do we get a word from God? By going to the word of God. That's kind of groundbreaking. But how do we get a word from God? Is we go to the word of God. Romans 10 chapter 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the question is, and I, I, I don't want this to be too in your 
face or anything like that, but are you reading, are you reading the word of God? Because if you're not reading your word, you probably aren't going to have a lot of faith. And if, if you don't have a lot of faith, then your prayers probably aren't going to work. And if your prayers don't work, then it's all on you. But if you don't want it to be all on you and you want God's help, then you're going to need to pray. And in order to pray prayers that work, you need to be full of faith. And the only way to be full of faith is by reading the word of God. So I, I ask the question again, are we reading God's word? I can give you a couple words right now. I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but there's been times where I don't feel very qualified. Every time I've stepped up on this stage, that's the voice, that's the narrative. Who are you? I know what you did. You're not qualified. You're not worthy. You're not able. But Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's leading me, I don't lack a thing. He's given me everything that I need to be successful and to be effective today. Here's another one. that Maybe you're faced with a decision. You don't know which path to go down. You don't know if you should take this job or if you should take that job. You don't know if you should go to this school or if you, if, if you should go to that school. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Maybe you, you're here today and you feel alone. You feel helpless. You feel like nobody loves you, nobody cares for you, nobody thinks anything about you, nobody's got your best interest in mind. Deuteronomy, yeah, Deuteronomy, the book that a lot of us try to avoid. 31 verse 8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Maybe today the narrative is that my family is so lost. My, my, my mom or dad, my son or daughter, my brother, sister, my cousin, whoever, they're just too far gone. There's, there's no way for them to get back. I've got a word. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Politics are getting crazy. Didn't think I'd go there. I'm so concerned with the election that's coming up. I'm so concerned with these policies that are being implemented. I'm so, I've got a word. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 3. I look up to the mountains and to Capitol Hill, longing for God's help, because that's where I think it comes from. But then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord, our creator, who made the heavens and the earth. And he will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. So go get a word. And, and if you're anything like me, the Bible's big. I don't know where to start. Can I tell you what I do? What, what I do is I read the one-year Bible. It's a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, a psalm and a proverb. Every day. And if you read it every day for a year, you have read the entire Bible. Um, I read some other things too. Like, I, like I've been reading a lot of James recently because we're in this study. And I've read a lot of the Beatitudes recently. So I've got other things that I'm studying. But every day I've just decided I'm going to spend time in the one-year Bible. I'm going to spend time with God's word because I want a faith that works. Is that, is that good? Does it, is that sound good to everybody? Good. 
So Elijah, 1 Kings 18, 41 through 42 says, Elijah said to Ahab, so this is, so the, the scripture right before this, or the, the verse that we talked about right before this was chapter 17. So in, verse, in chapter 18, this is three and a half years later, it has not rained once. So Elijah gets another word from God. And he said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed the, mount, or the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. So what does this teach us? Is that faith, it begins with a word, but faith builds when we, we are determined to not give up. 1 Kings chapter 18, 43 through 44 says, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, the servant said. So notice Elijah doesn't say, well, then I guess I missed it. He, he, he doesn't say, well, I guess I misheard God this, this time. I got to go back and apologize to Ahab. I missed it. No, what, what does he say? Elijah says, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand. So this isn't, this isn't the best news, Elijah. This isn't going to be the thing that you're looking for. There's not a hurricane on the horizon. It's one cloud, and it's probably as big as your hand. So Elijah said, based off of that news, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. He said seven times to keep going back. What, what is that? What is that? That's called persistence. That's called endurance. That's something that we need to build our faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 says you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but, my righteousness, but my righteousness, one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those, shrink, to those that shrink back. Why don't we belong? to? Because we have perseverance. Because we believe that if he said it, he's going to do it. And even though I don't see the sign yet, I know that it's coming. 1 Kings 18, verse 45 through 46 says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. So that one little wisp of cloud grew into a monsoon. And the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, for those of us that haven't read this passage before, something just happened that makes no sense. Ahab hears the word and gets on his chariot and starts heading towards Jezreel. And Elijah, at the same time, way behind him, tucks his garment into his belt and runs, and he ran ahead of Ahab. He... He ran faster than the chariot. I don't know if you've ever raced a horse before. My bet is that you've lost. <laughs> Unless it was a not well horse. <laughs> that's, that's the only way that you're going to beat a horse. What, so what does that mean? And band, you can go ahead and come on up. 
that faith, it begins with a word. And it builds through our endurance by our commitment to not quit. Because if we don't quit, we win. But faith breaks through the natural with the supernatural. And that's what happened with Elijah. Elijah was able to run faster than a horse. And there's a lot of us here that's like, that doesn't make sense. That shouldn't happen. How could that even be possible? It's the same narrative facing when you're facing your situation. When I'm facing my situation, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to happen. There's no way. And I, I agree with you. It doesn't make sense. And it is impossible. Jesus agrees with you. 19 verse, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and he said, yeah, with man, this is impossible. If it's all on you, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's finish out this last two scriptures of James. James chapter five, verse 19 through 20. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is such an, why does James end like this? Why does he end with this call to bring sinners back or the repentance of sins? It's because he's refocusing our perspective. He's saying that, you know, I, I hope that you get confidence in your unknown future. I hope that your hopeless situation resolves and that you find peace in it. I hope that the supernatural power of God shows up in your situation and interrupts your natural circumstances. But even if it doesn't, that's not the most important thing. That the most important thing is not that everything would work out on this planet, but that every one of us would end up in heaven with Jesus Christ. Amen. That that's the best news that we could ever have is that there is a life after this life. We have an eternal life. And with that perspective in mind, when we realize that Jesus has, is the savior of the world and we refocus beyond our problem or our situation or our unknown future and we see the one who's holding it all, then our, our problems, they probably don't change at all on the external. But the way we see them is so different because we're finally seeing something bigger than our problems that is all-consuming and all-powerful. And as we close out this James series, as, as we close out what James has had to say to us, as we say goodbye, we step into our legacy season. We're about to step into a legacy series in the month of November. And this is why we're stepping into this series is because our lives need to be bigger than just our lives. That individually we can all do a little, but when we all come together, we can all do a lot more 
And can I tell you, I'm, I've seen the news articles too. I've, I've seen social media too. The world doesn't look like it's getting any better. But that's why we have legacy. That's why, that's the motive, that's the vision, that's the drive, is that there's a lot of people in our communities and around the world that have not heard what James is trying to say. And our legacy is to make sure that it's to fulfill the Great Commission, that we would go throughout the whole world preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing believers. So if you, would, if you could all stand with me. As we close out this series, I would just like to pray. And then after I pray, campuses, you can take your services. And prayer team, please, you can, take, you can make your way to your positions. But I'd like to pray for us as we close out. If you would pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that even though I am uncertain about what my future is and I'm facing a hopeless situation now or I feel like I've done too much in the past to ever be worthy or deserving of forgiveness and love, I thank you that you are all-powerful, you are all-loving, and you are all-knowing. And it's not dependent on my ability or my capability, but it is all based off of your word because if you said it, I believe it. And you said that today is the day of salvation. So I'd like to say a special prayer. If there's someone in the room or at one of our campuses that that third category, that third prayer group, that third, that your life just feels too broken and you don't know what to do with it anymore. You don't know where to go with it anymore. I'd like to pray for you that in reflection of this eternal life perspective, the first question you had in your mind was, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'd like to pray for you. But I, I would like to ask you to do something that's a little bit, it might be uncomfortable. I'd like you to just raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying for at every single campus. If you would raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I would like to pray for you. Just, just pray with me this prayer. Jesus, I need you now more than I have ever needed you before. I've, I have gone my own way. I have made my own decisions. And they didn't pan out how I thought they were going to. I have I've fallen so short of the standard that you have set. Jesus, would you forgive me? God, I, you are the only Lord that I need. I'm a, I'm a tyrant. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. Would you come and fill my life? Jesus, I pray that as we step into this legacy series that the words of James would echo in the back of our mind, that our faith without works is dead, that we need to put some action to what we believe in, God. And that we would, we would put efforts to tame our tongue and that we wouldn't show favoritism and that, that we would uh, discern what your will is for our lives. But God, more than anything, I pray that you would give us the right perspective, which is an eternal perspective. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.